but said about so many schools is what they claim to be, what they care about, what they value is only surface level. Case in point, there was a time, I'm not going to tell you where, but there was a district I served in who claimed to care about equity. And so we did some equity audits and visited some schools and looked at what the experience of all children was like in the variety of campuses in this said district. And wouldn't you know it, what we found were that some very inequitable practices existed. And once we uncovered that truth and identified really the changes that would need to be made, what happened? That equity committee was dissolved. That equity value that was championed, that was broadly and proudly displayed on the websites and promotional materials and yada, 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 it all just went away. Today's guest experienced something similar in yet a different context, and she's here to talk about that experience and also how she rebounded from going through that experience and actually ending up last, picked last in a vote. She's also here to promote a really great book that she's created too called Open Windows, Open Minds. I'm proud of what Africa has created, and I would highly encourage you to pick up her book, especially if you not only value equity, but actually champion it and do the work as well. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools, and you are listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Makers. Today I'm joined. This is a second show. This doesn't happen a lot with uh, a lot of uh, (laughs) people, but with awesome people, they get invited back to the show. So I can uh, proudly say that Africa Faini Mills is an education consultant and the author of Open Windows, Open Minds, Developing Anti-Racist Pro-Human Students. And it's available now. You can get it right now from Corwin Press, and I highly encourage you to pick up the book. She works with colleagues, teachers, coaches, and admin to develop and sustain 
student-centered learning experiences that are diverse, inclusive, and equitable. Africa has been featured on podcasts, this one being her favorite, of course. Absolutely, of course, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Blogs. You've delivered uh, keynote addresses and facilitated sessions at conferences across the U.S. Africa believes that all educators can be motivated, engaged, dynamic practitioners, and leaders when provided with the support needed to create student-centered, anti-bias, anti-racist, culturally responsive learning environments that inspire wonder and creativity and nurture diversity, belonging, equity, and inclusion. Africa, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. And hello, Ruckus Makers. I'm so honored to be back (laughs) in the space. (laughs) Yeah. So let's start, you know, let's start with a personal story. You talked to me about running for a school committee and on the surface, right? (laughs) On the surface, it looked diverse, but really how it showed up in reality was much different. Will you tell us that story? Yeah. So I think about, so, so how I began, cause I'm like, the thing that's so interesting about me, I think, well, I think the interesting things about all of us. One of the things that I find to be interesting in my own life is I am such an introvert and I think I present very differently. And I know that there's like mis, mis um, understandings of what introversion and extroversion is um, or what they are. And so, but for me, it got to be a, to a point where I was, you know, I, I, um, I live, I have moved now, um, but I was living in the Northeast. And I had been, you know, spending time helping to develop educators in different ways. And I was like, well, you know, the sayings about, you know, you should be the change that you want to see in the world. Right. I can't be out encouraging and espousing that people should, you know, should, should be bold and should take opportunities to, to, you know, to inform and influence what's happening in education spaces without being willing to do that myself. And so, but for me, I'm just like, oh, like, and, and so where the introversion comes in, I'm just like, oh, like in order to in order to really be in those spaces, like you need, really need to self promote. You need to be out, and you need to be ha- like making small talk. And for anybody else who's introverted or loves an introvert, you know that that's like the worst possible thing. <laughs> I'm like, I love small, intimate gatherings of people that I am emotionally close to, but I'm like, let me just go ahead and do it because. I'm an educator. I live in this town. My children go to school here. And so it felt like uh, it felt like the right thing to do. But what was hard about it, though, is that even though I was living in a town that is very like multiracial, multiethnic, it's one of those situations where and I think about this a lot when it comes to like integrated spaces and segregation and things like that, that there is surface integration, right? Like where you can have representation of different folks from different racial backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures, but it's really, um, you can like look around and see that diversity to a certain extent, but when you look at the leadership structures in a town or you look at the people who are the decision makers in a space, it's not necessarily diverse all the way through, right? At different levels of, of leadership. And so I was like, yeah, I think I should go ahead and do this. And I feel like because the district had identified that um, working on equity and diversity, equity and inclusion was a priority. I'm like, well, this is perfect, right? <laughs> I could yeah. be a part of a team of people, right? Team of people. I think that, you know, the school committee was composed of about, you know, nine different people. I'm like, I think I think I have some things that I can contribute and also because it's important to me to continue to be a learner, I felt like I could also learn in that space. So it could be mutually beneficial. What feels like showed up for me 
is that um, the underlying, um, I don't know what, tension, I guess, is the best way to describe it, that exists between people of different backgrounds was so present. It was almost like it felt like another candidate to me that was running in the race as well that I in a space to navigate. And I'm like, oh, this is this is hard for me because for me, when I do this work and I'm not at all trying to promote myself as someone who is without flaw, that I don't have challenges, I totally do, that all human beings do. But one of the things I, I don't tend to struggle with is losing focus on education-related initiatives. Because for me, I'm like, it always has to be about the students. It always, it, they have to be at the center. So I thought that having that focus would be enough. Right? <laughs> that would be enough. But it really came down to a lot of things like, you know, who had relationships with who in the town, um, who was being supported by certain people of influence in the town, trying to being encouraged to avoid certain people in the town, it, even down to when it was time for me to put my, my lawn signs out, having people who would push back and be like, oh, well, you shouldn't have your lawn sign on that person's lawn. And I'm like, are you serious? Like this, this all of these conversations don't have anything to do with children, which was really, it was heartbreaking for me, honestly. And so I'm like, and like, as I got into the race, I was just like, I don't know, like, did I make a mistake? I don't know if I'm built for this because there was a lot, a lot of tension and a lot of infighting and a lot of, like I was saying, like a lot of distraction away from the issues about like kids and schools and how do we best support teachers and families and, you know, and really partner with families. And those are the things that excite me. Um, and so it was it was a very humbling experience, too, because when, you know, we got toward the race, the, you know, the day of the elections um, and I was just like, it's going to have to be what it's going to be. Right. Like I've done the best that I can. This was one of the most um, trying experiences of my life. But we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. And um, yeah, it, out of everybody, I came in like talk about humbling. I'm like, I came in like dead last. <laughs> of all the people running, I was like, dang, like not even like next to last, like dead last. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's tough. Not to say that I'm like, I'm, I'm good with that. Like the fact that I didn't win is okay, but I'm like, but with someone like me, with the experiences I've had, I'm just like, I find that interesting that I came in last out of everybody. And so I was just like, okay, I don't regret doing it because I feel like it was something I should have tried. Um, but it was very hard. And especially too, because my children, were at school in the district and they were impacted, right, by the things that were being said and the infighting that became pretty prominent during the race. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm proud of myself for trying. For sure. I, I do have a follow-up question. I'll get to that in a second. Yes, but, you know, one of my lived experiences, I, I see a lot of um, districts, you know, they say they want the thing, but then doing the work, maybe not, right? Right. So it's very easy and probably every district should say we should have an equity focus, right? That's the right <laughs> thing to do. Yes. But then you start to explore, right? Who has access to which schools, which, you know, teachers, the resources, uh, and like, oh, what does that say about us? And, oh, what changes do we need to make? And right. I, I see equity, you know, initiatives uh, killed at that point, right? Because what it's uncovered is like almost... Right. Um, so sacred to not necessarily the community, but the powers that be, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, we're not going to do anything that if we do something, yes, equity, but for my kid, they see it as a yeah. loss. So <laughs> yeah. uh, anyways, very, you know, it's unfortunate, but it, it can be the reality quite a bit. So yeah. you said, hey, this was hard. I should have done it. You weren't thrilled with the result, obviously, and that stung. 
But what did you yeah. learn, right? Because because like those kind of moments, even though they were tough, it should be a, like a pretty cool learning moment. So what, what did you learn from that? Yeah, for me, I feel like one, well, there were many, many things that I learned. I would say probably some of the top lessons were, um, and it's some of what I talk about in my book a bit toward the okay. end of the book is, um, so I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk about what it is and then I'll bring it back to, the, yeah, to what yeah. we're talking about. Um, so one of the people that I interviewed for the book talked about um, Jennifer Con- Gonzalez, I believe her name is the author of an article by Cult of Pedagogy called um, Find Your Marigold. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and I was like, well, right. And so I was like, what do you mean? Like, I don't I mean, I'm not really a gardener type a plant. Like, I'm not really into plants and flowers and things sure. like that. I mean, they're beautiful, but I don't really like I don't really know a lot about like the qualities of different flowers and things like that. So um, when I looked into it, I was like, oh, so basically this concept is that, you know, marigolds are like they can be a protective plant or a protective flower that if you plant them around other plant life, that they can provide um, nourishment and like a barrier from things that can be harmful to other plants. And so um, when I was interviewing um, the person who contributed to the book, she said, yeah, like for teachers, the article is specifically written to new teachers. But I feel like when it comes to um, work around like anti-racism, anti-bias, being just like really in favor of like what's best for us as a human family, um, it's really important to think about that too. Like how do you create and sustain community around you when you're doing something challenging? Because otherwise it can be completely daunting and you can really, it can be hard to like to persevere. It can be hard to persist. And so in the midst of the things that were challenging, I definitely began to notice people who were marigolds for me. And I'm so, so to this day, I'm so grateful for them. Like people who are just like, don't worry about the noise. You're always going to have people who have strong opinions, who want you to do things a certain way, even if that doesn't align with who you are as a person. Um, But I'm for you. And And like, we can do events together or we can go door knocking together. And that was so like, it was like a bomb for me, right? Seriously, it was so soothing because... I mean, unfortunately, there weren't a lot, there were not a lot of people who made themselves available in this way. But for the people who did, it just really helped me to maintain hope, right? It didn't feel like the thing was completely, you know, a negative experience. I also started to really realize how important it is when you are um, putting yourself out there to be involved in leadership or direction of um, of any type, but particularly when we think about students, is to be really clear about what your purpose is and what your motivation is, and um, to be able to convey that, right? Because like, I think lots of people will say like, you know, we believe in schools, we believe in education, we believe in children, like, you know, children having healthy, thriving environments, but being able to articulate what that means and what that looks like and what is the way to get there, that's that's something that, you know, you don't, not everybody is, is prepared to, to have those conversations, so running for office, I think when you're trying to do it in an effective way, it does require for you to be clear um, and to be able to talk about like how, like, what do you envision? What is your vision for students? And well, at least that's how it should be. Um, and how do you see yourself contributing to bringing that vision into reality? So I appreciated the, the opportunity to get clear about what I believe about education and about students. Um, and then also too, like just um, for a long time in my earlier education career, I, I my and I'll totally credit my husband with this because he right now he is involved in ministry. He's a pastor. Um, but prior to him becoming a pastor, he um, was the director of um, the Department of Extended Learning Time after school and services for Boston Public Schools. And he taught me so much about like the difference between family and community engagement 
or involvement and, and family and community partnership. It's like, cause those things are very different. And so being running for office in a community, it did, I'm like, okay, even though I'm an introvert and door knocking totally like freaks me out, there was something really powerful about like getting out and meeting people in the neighborhood and, and really uh, like taking it from the perspective of like, whether I win or not, getting to know my neighbors better, getting to have conversations with folks is so valuable and it's something that we don't do as much of. Um, so I did, I did appreciate those opportunities to make those connections. Um, even did even though it didn't, it didn't have the outcome that I, I was hoping for. Like you said, there's definitely things that I learned and that, that helped me to grow um, in the process. I, I love like, so there's so much to, to love from what you said. One, one like going through the process, right? Like I, I'm, I'm working with somebody and they're wanting to start a podcast, this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, what if nobody listens? Well, right. okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe they won't, or maybe they won't read the book, right? That kind of thing. Right. But right. There are right. benefits for the artist, the creator, because it helps clarify what you're all about, right? And so that's that's huge. And I heard that come through what you shared there. And then that last piece, you know, uh, maybe I should try to sell my book, Knocking on Doors. But uh, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> why not? You know, I'd be crazy hey, enough why, to try that, to be honest. Uh, but what I really loved with what you said about that is getting to know your neighbors. And yes. at the end of the day, listen, Chuck lives right there. I won't tell you the last name, but he lives right there yeah, next yeah, to that's my fine. neighbor. We couldn't be further apart politically, right? And um, and that's okay. If I didn't sit and talk with Chuck every now and then, right, and get to know him and the family, it'd be very right. easy for me to formulate a story about how he's different to other him, right? And he'd become the right. enemy and like crazy. And how can you do this kind of stuff? Right. But it's really hard to do that to Chuck when I talk to him because the guy's actually pretty cool. You know what I mean? Relationship, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he's he's actually really nice. And he's not any of the evil things that I think about sometimes when I think of people that disagree with me. So I I just share that personal experience because getting to know folks and having, I think that's a lost art. Having a conversation with all sorts of people, especially people you disagree with. And so thank you for uh, knocking on doors. You know, I really appreciate you sharing that. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say, and the other thing that I'll yeah. share, like kind of in the same vein of what you just talked about, and, I'm, and this is like me, I, I totally, like, I'm such a big Brene totally. Brown fan. I've like, I have listened to the whole Atlas of the Heart book. I have watched the HBO Max, you know, all of, I've watched, I binged it. I watched all the things. So I'm like, I do believe in, in vulnerability and that it's, it's hard, yeah. but I think it's powerful and important for us, like, to connect with people. And it was really tricky for me running as a Black woman in a town where there were so many yeah. underlying racial issues, because some of, like, what I mentioned a bit earlier about, like, oh, people feeling a certain type of way about my lawn sign being on someone's lawn. Some of that came from, like, people yeah. of different races, being like, oh, well, what does that mean if that person has your your sign on their lawn? Are they tokenizing you? Do they misperceive who you are? Are they trying to use you as a black person to, you know, to support a message that's not, you know, that's that's not really what you believe in? And I'm just like, yo, like, sure. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm like, I really try to be really intentional about, about what it is that I do. But it's like, like really trying to figure out those pieces that connect to the core of like our identities that's some grueling stuff when that happens. And so that was, that was part of it that was really hard about me being like, I really just want to want this to be about students, but it's really seems like there was so much that was being attached 
to my candidacy how I was choosing to engage with the folks in town. And so that was hard. That was hard too. But I agree with you. I'm just like, it's really hard. Um, I think Brian Stevenson talks about that, about the power of proximity, right? Like when we're in relationship with one another, how powerful that can be. So I'm like, I might not agree with you in, in what it is that you, like how, how you go about expressing what you believe the, you know, things should, how things should be in, in the neighborhood or in the town or in the country, in the world, right? But I think that when we get to understand each other better, I'm like, we might not land in the same place, but that's where that pro-human piece comes from for me. I'm just like, it has to be about, you know, us and in, in our human family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, appreciate sharing that too. So, you know, not knocking on doors and as an introvert, right? That's already pretty, pretty tough and something to navigate. But but now, you, you know, you're showing up, like you, you already said this, right? As, as a Black woman, uh, you know, navigating um, topics that can be tricky sometimes. And I, I'm guessing you find yourself yes. in uh, in front of a lot of white educators and white students, and you're talking about bias and racism yes. and potentially things that they might even right. be doing consciously, unconsciously to mm-hmm. uh, brown students, right? So talk to me about that experience yes. too. That seems a lot harder to me than knocking on doors, but I, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> No, well, you know what? Here's the thing. It's like, I really, I I definitely hear you on that because it's not, I wouldn't say it's easy at all. It definitely feels like, I don't want to say like risky is not the word. It's just like, you don't necessarily know how it's going to go, right? So you just kind of put yourself out there. I think for me, the way that I approach that work, and this is another thing that connects to how I've approached the book, is that, and let me give my caveat first. When I mention people who are not as racially aware or have not done racial identity work, I'm not necessarily, like when I think about the people who are the audience that I tend to work with or who I'm writing to, I'm not talking about people whose life experience has led them into a space of being hateful or violent toward anybody. So I think that's a different matter, right? That's a different matter altogether. So I just want to be clear about that. It's not that I'm excusing behaviors that 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 fall into that category. So I'm going to separate that out. But mostly what I feel is that I try to come from a place of doing my own exploration of my own identity and thinking about like, what does it feel like when I have operated from a place of privilege? And so the the example that comes to mind for me is that a number of years ago, I think probably about five years ago, I had the opportunity to participate in the Boston Educators for Equity, uh, the first cohort that existed. And um, it was a wonderful experience. And one of the things that was really powerful though, is that we did, it wasn't like the identity exercise where it's just like, let's all stand here. And then, you know, people yeah. take steps forward based on what you can identify with. It was a bit different. It was more so like we were all lined up against one wall. And then they would say, like, if you identify as X, cross over to the other side. And when I went into that experience, I had not expected to cross over very much. I'm like, I'm a black woman. I'm hardly ever yeah. going to cross over. So I'm expecting to spend a lot of time, you know, like really being, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to really focus on where I've been marginalized or where I've been excluded. But what ended up happening actually is like when it came to race, definitely, right? Like I had the opportunity to cross over when it came to, um, you know, gender, then I had the opportunity to, to, to cross over. But then other, like, they were like, if you identify as Christian, I'm like, oh yeah, I do. So that's a space of privilege for me. If I am, you know, someone who does not require assistance to move or use parts of my body, right. If I'm able-bodied, right. I'm like, okay, I am able-bodied. Um, if I've, if I have a U.S. issued birth, birth certificate, 
I'm like, oh, yep, that's true. I'm like, am I, have I been English speaking my whole life? I'm like, whoa, right? Am I heterosexual? I'm like, dang. <laughs> I'm like, there are all these spaces of privilege that I don't think about because we're so binary in the way we think about, um, you know, a lot of times we do think about race and, and justifiably so because race is a significant, massive issue. So I don't mean to take away from it. And at the same time, I think when I think about spaces where I hold privilege, I can relate to what it might be like to be a white person growing up in a mostly white town, in mostly white schools with mostly white teachers who did not delve into racial identity work or studies of people um, who are different, who are racially or culturally or ethnically different. So when you grow up in a space and you don't really hear the narratives of people who may be different from you, then you do make a whole bunch of assumptions and you might believe some false narratives or many false narratives that are given to you. And so I try to come from that space I'm like, all right, so what did it feel like for me, you know, when like as an able-bodied person, when someone has talked to me about their, like what life is like with their disability, there's a ton that I don't see. And there's a ton that I don't know. So when I do that work, I start from that place. I'm just like, you probably, unless you had an extraordinary childhood, did not grow up having your natural questions as a child that you have as a child about difference racially being answered. Beverly Daniel Tatum talks about that. Like her son coming home and being like, my friend told me in preschool that I'm brown because I drink too much chocolate milk. Right. So that's, that's what kids automatically think. But then we usually, instead of engaging in their questions, we usually hush them. And so then they don't, they learn to not ask the questions, which then breeds ignorance about things. So in that work, I try to come from that place and say, we've all been racialized. Let's talk about like, how do we understand what's been done to all of us, even though it manifests differently? Um, and how do we grow from that space? How do we do better? How do we, how do we learn how to work in solidarity with one another toward, how do we freedom dream? How do we work toward building a better world for everybody? And so I really try to come from that place. I feel like it's a, it's a, a healthier and more considerate place and a more productive space to be when it comes to doing this work. Right. Cool. Well, I want to ask you about growing students' perspectives, and uh, we'll start there immediately after a a short message from our sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Learn from Harvard faculty without leaving your home. Grow your network with fellow school leaders from around the world as you collaborate in case studies of leaders in education and business. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Africa Afini Mills. She wrote the hottest book out right now, Open Windows, Open Minds, Developing (laughs) Anti-Racist Pro-Human Students. And we've been chatting about the book and her lived experiences. 
Uh, and we we ended our discussion before the break just talking about uh, growing perspectives, right? And so w- when you work with a system, uh, multiple schools or a single school or a classroom, you know, whatever that is, what does it, what does it look like to help students grow their perspective around uh, bias and equity in these issues? What does that look like? Yeah, I think, I mean, it looks a bit, um, I think the, the landscape right now, it's a bit hairy, right? Because, and when I say this, when I talk about like book bannings and people showing up at school committee meetings, talking about children, like, you know, being what, what people are saying that they're against critical race theory, which is not quite what it is, but that's, I'll leave that to the side for right now. But, you know, like when we, that's, that's not the first time we've seen resistance to engaging with students truthfully about the history of this country, of our world, um, teaching about what it is, you know, what it is that, that, makes us different and celebrating the joys and brilliance and celebrations of, you know, of, of all people. Right. So now we see, you know, states enacting laws against certain like curricula or books or, you know, like or saying that we will really want to make sure that white students are not ever made to feel uncomfortable. Like those things. I'm like, I know that that's a particular challenge right now, but it is not, it is a shape shifted challenge. This is not the first time we've seen this. Um, and so I think for me, what it looks like is, if we're, if we're paying attention, <laughs> and I think that that's important for us to do, this resistance is not coming from children. It's not coming from Never students. Is. It's largely coming from, right? You know, it's, it's largely coming from adults who did not have these experiences engaging with this type of learning, who is unfamiliar to them. And then because it's unfamiliar, there's fear. There are false narratives around this work, right? And I'll give a perfect example of of how I know that this is true. When I started to see the list of books that were being banned by certain school districts, I'm like, let me take a look just because I want to see, you know, like what, what, what might be causing concern. And seriously, I'm just like, okay, so you don't want children to learn about, there's a book I'm called Not Normal. So it's a little black boy who has a goldfish. I'm like, I'm not really seeing what's, what feels dangerous about this, right? Or there was another one called like Max and the Tagalong Moon about like a little black boy who's like maybe four years old who thinks that the moon is following him as a lot of kids do, right? So I'm like, so this is not about, really, it's not about indoctrination or concerns about that. It is, this is unfamiliar and I want us to try to stop this, right? And so I think that some of that is like really making sure to connect with um spaces where where the, the leadership and the teachers, and I include the teachers in the leadership as well, I don't, I don't only mean administrators because teachers are leaders as well, where people are willing to be undaunted by the noise and to persist in learning experiences that are really holistic and whole for children. I will say that I can imagine, like I'm, I used to be in the classroom, I'm not right now. I can imagine that it's hard to continue to persist with like trying to counter that resistance in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. So I'm like, so I'm not saying that it's easy, right? It's definitely not easy to begin that approach to teaching and learning if that's something that's new to you. There's, there, there are a lot of competing priorities for educators right now. Um, but for me, it's really been about why I feel like so privileged and honored to have been able to write this book. During the pandemic, I got a chance to connect with educators who are like, I don't care what the noise says. I really, really don't. This is what's right for kids. And so I think that really connecting with folks who are who are willing to engage despite the noise and despite what, what, what could feel potentially scary um, at, at different grade levels. So for example, there was a teacher who um, talked about working with her second grade students. And she's just like, I just talk about like, what does it mean to be a person? And so she explores, you know, like I think she talked about 
reading one of Mem Fox's books and they talk about like what makes a person a person. And so, you know, how little kids are they're just like, oh, we all have, we all have eyes and we all have arms and we all have hands. And so she starts there being like, well, what if someone doesn't have arms? Does that mean they're not a person? And so of course, little kids are like, no, you can still be a person if you don't have arms. So they actually explore what it means to be human. And then she builds on learning about who we are as people like building from them, reading lots of different books and engaging kids in like deep learning and conversation. So I think trying to find places where teachers and schools are still in, invested in the work and not trying to like go into a space where, the, where like say the state has a law against it. It's like, that's going to be a harder challenge, but there are, that's, I feel like that's, that's not everywhere. So it's like trying to find the spaces where that work can can continue. Um, I think it, it, it definitely helps to have a book coming out that will help people to be able to connect with me about it. Um, I'm really excited about that, but I think it's about trying to find spaces where folks feel like, yes, this is hard, but we're going to do it anyway because we can do, you know, because it's necessary. Totally. It's hard, but we're going to do it anyway. I think that's a really good reminder too, that it's not yes. everywhere where you see uh, some of these laws being passed and the book bannings and the curriculum stuff, you know, that certainly isn't, isn't everywhere. I don't have my thoughts polished here. And one of my coaches, Rich Litvin said that messy is sexy. And I, uh, <laughs> I believe that. Right? I believe that. Right. And I, I, I definitely have to be all figured out. We can just yeah. jump in. right? And, and I prefer in. progress over perfection. <laughs> so I haven't fully thought through what I'm about to say, but yes. you know, I, I know my gut tells me, listen, you can, you can, uh, love the country, and I'm talking about the United States and that kind of thing. And you can uh, critically view an honest history, like of the terrible things that happen. You know what I mean? Both both can exist, and I think that's one. At least that's something that motivates me to make this place better. You know what I mean? Because it's like don't repeat the sins of the past type of thing. But um, the other the other idea that I wanted to put out there too. I mean, anything around the book bannings and all that kind of stuff. I just want to be clear from my platform. I've created it. So I get to do what I want. That stuff is absolutely exactly wrong right. like, to me. It's wrong. You shouldn't be banning books. Yes. And if you, and if you look at right. places in times in history, when books have been banned, hello, those were not good moments to be proud. Of. Yes. So I think we're all in agreement. If you're a listener, if you're a ruckus maker, do your homework there. You can't, you can't debate me on this. That's just, that's a fact. Absolutely. Okay. And the last thing to the uncomfortableness, like why some of these laws getting passed and they say, we don't want white students to feel uncomfortable. That, that's actually a disservice to students. Here's why it, it's, this is a metaphor, but I grew up, uh, of course, privileged in any way you can identify, but I also grew up privileged in the sense that my mom treated me like a king, honestly. And so I just didn't have, I didn't have to do that much as a young man, right? Now I am an adult and I'm in a relationship. And because of the very cozy and comfortable way I was brought up, and I'm not saying that was the wrong way, but I'm just saying that there were consequences. So now when my partner and I have discussions about what needs to get done and things like that, or you can, you can listen to an episode I recorded with uh, Miriam where she told all of Ruckus Maker Nation, think of this, Africa, if your partner got on a podcast, told everybody, Danny, you don't clean, you just push dirt around. 
the counter or yeah, right? Oh, that's what she, she said. About you me. Out. So that's just one example, right? But because I was comfortable, I did, I just had to push dirt around as a kid. So then, if you extrapolate Why? that to you know just consciousness, right, and in race and the complex things we're talking about here, you know that that is just going to be in disservice, you know, to that individual. So hopefully. People see the connection. Absolutely. If you disagree, like, honestly, don't care. Don't write in because I'm not going to respond. So, (laughs) I mean, I totally, I was just going to say, I totally agree with you because I'm like, whenever you think about growth of any kind, there is some discomfort in it, right? Like you think about, totally right? Like I think about like, this is what my zone of proximal development. You got to get stretched, right? That's exactly right. You have to, or whether you think about like the learning pit, like, you know, okay, you got to struggle and you got to grapple and this is how you construct meanings. Like that's how it is. And then that's just the way our bodies are in general and the world is right. When we think about ever having, if anyone's been through like any type of like exercise regimen, or I have a friend who just recently ran a half marathon in order to do that. She had to do a lot of prep in order to get ready for that. And so it's like, it wasn't always comfortable. Actually, it was really uncomfortable for her in a lot of ways, but it was something she was determined to do. So she was able to push through and do it. Um, but the same thing too, like if, if when I've been in physical therapy, I'm just like, are the exercises no, comfortable? No. Not at all, right? But if the ultimate goal is to strengthen that part of my body or to heal that part of my body, I have to go through a bit of discomfort to get to the other side of it where things are going to be more whole and healed, right? And so I'm like, so about being uncomfortable, I don't think anybody should make anyone uncomfortable. Right. Just for the sake of doing that. But like, yeah, I'll, I'll give an example of when I was uncomfortable about something. So and this is something I share about. I've been thinking quite a bit about what um, what how um, internalized oppression shows up for me as a as a black person and as a woman. And um, for me, I'm like, you know, I, I was raised by a mom and dad who really focused quite a bit, like taught me lots about black history. They, they were the first people who taught me about like, you know, the failed promise right. of 40 acres and a mule. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, right. I grew up in Brooklyn. I'm like, yeah, Spike Lee. 40 acres in a new film works. I'm very aware, right? And then as I started to connect more with folks who are indigenous and learning yeah. more about indigenous folks, then I was <laughs> like, hold on, 40 of whose acres, like if that actually happened, that would have been people stealing land from indigenous and First Nations folks to give it to another group of folks who were also on the receiving end of much cruelty and oppression and all the things, right? But that's that was something that was uncomfortable for me because I'm like, I had become comfortable thinking about this is what we deserve as Black people, right? We deserve to have some reparations for enslavement and the manifestations that we still see today. But I'm like, yeah, but when you grow, it is about like, oh, well, I had this idea, but now there's some dissonance there, right? And that's okay. That's how we grow. And it's good. It's good to grow. It is absolutely good to grow. Cool. Well, so talking about this, and yeah. then, uh, <laughs> maybe before I get to the last questions, I always ask, you know, we're, we're talking about growth. And so there's there's educators who care about your message, right? They're for sure going to pick up open windows, open minds, developing anti-racist pro-human students. But do you, do you have any last sort of words of encouragement to educators who want to do this very important work, but again, the political reality, you know, can be very challenging for them. So what, what would you say to them? Yeah. What I would say is I first would want to start from a place of acknowledgement, right? It's just because I think sometimes people just like, yeah, you know, you know, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and do the work because it's important. I'm just like, in the a, in a, in a vein of being pro-human, I'm just like, 
in the midst of like all this time that we've been grappling with COVID-19 and all of the ways that that's manifested in our lives and all the challenges that existed in education prior to that, that have now been, um, whether it be exacerbated by or illuminated because of the, right? So all of those things are very, very valid. And we, we really don't know how it's impacted people's individual lives unless we ask and we listen, right? So it's like, so I want to just say, it's not easy to take on a very different way of approaching teaching and learning in the midst of that. And then also a lot of our, when we think about our teacher prep programs, we don't really get to engage in this work. So it's like, so I definitely want to acknowledge that, yes, this is hard. And also it's important that, you know, when we are thinking about what we're capable of, that we are very capable of doing hard things and we are best suited to do those hard things and to persist through it when we surround ourselves by in community because we don't need to be doing this work alone. And so just thinking about the importance of trying to find spaces of encouragement. I know that there are many spaces that have been created for educators to support one another to engage in this work because sometimes it might just be you or a few other teachers who are committed to this work in a school. And if you don't have administrative support, that is hard. And especially if that on top of that, you have some resistance coming from the community, right? So I would say that, yes, things are hard, hard stop. And also we can do hard things when we support one another to do them is to try. And so then to try to find how we can engage in this work with one another instead of going it, trying to go it alone. Gotcha. Brilliant. Cool. Uh, I want to remind the ruckus maker listening, this, this is going to go way back. Uh, oh my gosh. So it was May of 2018. You were on episode 195 of season one and the title was going deep, deeper wow. with equity. I just looked that up. So I, I will point the ruckus maker okay. listening to that episode to see how Africa answered the, the question about um, building a dream school just for time reasons. But I will ask ah. you the question about marquees. Yeah. So Africa, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message read? Oh, it would definitely be, I would put the, um, the word, and I don't know if I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I apologize ahead of time if I do, but that concept oh, yeah. of Ubuntu, right? Yeah. That's U-B-U-N-T-U, right? And so it's like that I am because you are. And I'm like, I really feel like we make so much progress with one another when we realize how connected we are. Um, and so I would love for that to be the message for us to think about like, yeah, how are we a human family and how do we support one another? Um, and I know a lot of times in spaces, like, cause I'm such a touchy feely person and some people might not even vibe with this, but that's okay. Like you said, I'm unapologetic about this. It's like, I do this work out of love. I think you have to like, we have to have some type of love for whether it be children or education or, you know, or, or the human family. So yeah, Ubuntu would be what would be on a marquee for me. Brilliant. Be a bridge builder. So Africa, yes. listen, thanks for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Again, of everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Uh, I definitely want a ruckus maker to remember um, that it is important for us to connect with other ruckus makers, right? And so sad that, that when we think about, um, you know, whether like like things that, that we are doing that are going to be really arduous or very ch- challenging, um, yeah, they are, right? But there are so many... Um, there are so many spaces where we can um, be supportive to one another and um, thinking about that concept of like the braid, right? Like if I just have one single rope, that that could be something that would be easy to fray. But if we look at a braid, right, and we think about how interconnected things are and how much stronger something is when it's together and when it's linked, 
that's the that's the the image and the message that I would want ruckus makers to hold on to is like let's be in this together let's support one another because we have important work to do and we we are we are we are well suited to the task we just have to make sure that we stay we stay the course thanks for listening to the better leaders better schools podcast ruckus maker if you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.